Hello and welcome to our latest episode of the Europeans podcast, the podcast that believes that people might actually be interested in finding out what's going on across the continent. We, yeah, we, we tried to make a show that's just a tiny bit entertaining along the way and some weeks that's easier than others, but it shouldn't be too hard this week because I'm better. The Lurgy has left me. Katie, did you catch it? Uh, kind of. You might be able to hear I'm a little croaky and I am feeling a little delicate, but I think that is mostly because it was our Luxembourg correspondent Nina Lamparski's birthday yesterday and we may have gone out for a glass or two. Happy birthday, Nina. This is all your fault. Oh, not again. What's happening in Amsterdam? Oh, not much. I'm just stuck in rehearsals. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I've got a bit of a crazy busy few weeks. So, Katie's interviewing alone this week. Sad Katie. I know. But uh, we got some good news this week as well. Amidst all the busyness and the sickness, we were shortlisted for the Spinelli Prize, which is an award from the European Parliament that celebrates projects which are helping, I think, helping people get a greater sense of the European project and knowledge about the EU. So please all keep your fingers crossed on April the 29th when Katie will be at the European Parliament to find out if we won or not. Very exciting. You better practice your rejection phase, Katie. I'm hoping it'll be like the Oscars. I have, um, what's the equivalent of resting bitch face, resting disappointment face? That's what I've got. So that's fine. I'm ready. Great. So you might have been too busy to interview people this week, but uh, that's your loss because I had a great chat with Jules, which is coming up later. Uh, This week's guest is someone who knows all about something that I am really interested in and worried about, which is fake news in Europe. Jules Damana, he is running a new coalition of fact checkers who've come together from all across Europe to fight disinformation ahead of next month's European elections. And among other things, we've been chatting about how fake news crosses borders and kind of mutates to fit in the the context in different countries. It's really interesting. And I'm sad that you weren't there. I'm sad I wasn't there. But you're also definitely much more qualified to talk about this because it's actually your real job. It is. Do our listeners know about that? Probably not. Uh, Do they? Yeah, I think you maybe mentioned it. Yeah, once. Yeah, so basically a couple of months ago, I changed jobs and I now focus on disinformation and all the weird hoaxes that float around corners of the internet. So this is kind of, this interview is kind of a marriage of my two super nerdy interests in life, which are Europe and fake news. Can't wait. Neither can I. Tell me, Katie, who's having a bad week? So among the less bad things that has happened to Julian Assange in the past few days, he now becomes the first person in history to be handed bad week for a second time. Congratulations, Julian. Apparently you gave him bad week once before, which I didn't even remember, which is a sign of just how long we've been running this podcast. Yeah, it was when they cut off his internet in the Ecuadorian embassy, wasn't it? Yeah, which was probably the first sign of like how things were going quite badly between him and his Ecuadorian hosts. Uh, so June Assange, you will have seen by now, the founder of WikiLeaks was, of course, the only person in the running for Bad Week this week after he got arrested at the embassy in London, bringing to an end seven years in which he has not left that building. He walked into the embassy on June the 19th, 2012, and he claimed political asylum and he never left. He was, of course, supposed to go to Sweden, where he'd been accused of sexual assault. But Assange claimed that these were trumped-up accusations designed to eventually get him extradited to America, which didn't really make sense back then and still doesn't now, but there you are. 
Fast forward seven years and Assange is being dragged out of the embassy in London, looking very bedraggled with this scruffy white beard. And he is now behind bars in Belmarsh Prison in London, which is a pretty grim prison. And he is indeed awaiting what is likely to be a really long court case over whether or not to extradite him to the US, where the government is really angry with him for helping Chelsea Manning, the former US soldier, to leak this absolutely massive stash of US government documents. It is possible that he might actually get sent to Sweden instead slash first. Uh, It's really complicated, but basically the sexual assault case against him there got dropped. But one of the women who he was accused of sexually assaulting has asked for the case to be reopened. Um, Sweden hasn't actually asked for him to be sent back there, but a lot of British lawmakers think that he should get sent there if Sweden asks for it. I don't know. I don't really know what to make of this whole story. Um, I do not like Julian Assange. I've met him a few times and I followed him fairly closely over the years. Do I think he should have gone to Sweden to face the sexual assault charges in the first place? Yes. Do I think people should face court for helping to leak sensitive government documents? It's really hard. I mean, some really important information became public as a result of stuff that WikiLeaks has published over the years, um, especially over the conduct of the war in Iraq. And I think WikiLeaks did some amazing work in its early days, and then it became something else. That makes it sound like they're a band, doesn't it? Like, you should listen to low stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't, like, one of the criticisms of WikiLeaks that they just indiscriminately, like, dump all the data that they receive on the internet without going through it. So they're not really a journalistic organisation. Right. Um, so, I mean, this is a, this has been a sort of long, ongoing debate with them over the years. So I used to work at this organisation called the Bureau of Investigative Journalism in London. And uh, they were working with WikiLeaks back in the early days. And there were these massive debates at the time where a lot of journalists felt like if people are named in these documents and they could risk their lives because their names are just going out on the internet, that's the kind of information that should be like redacted and withdrawn. But uh, Assange is actually a quite radical transparency activist. He just believes in putting this stuff on the internet and if lives are risked because of it, and so be it. So yeah, that is not so much journalism as quite radical activism, in my opinion. And the thing that he's being uh, indicted for in America isn't actually the release of classified data. It's it's the fact that he attempted to break a password to some kind of federal account. Isn't that right? Yeah, the technicality, I think it would be on a kind of hacking charge. Which apparently it seems like it failed, the attempt in this case, the one that they're actually, that they've got evidence of. A weird technicality about this case is that it seems from the way that they've worded the indictment that actually it was an attempt to break a password, but they didn't even break it. I also feel kind of confused about where I stand on it. And this thing about the Swedish indictment and his defense was always like, this Swedish extradition request is a way to get me to Sweden where it will be easier to extradite me to America than it would be from the UK, which I don't know if that's true. I don't think so. You don't think that's true? He thinks it's true. We had a conversation about it once. I interviewed him a couple of times in the embassy back in kind of the early days. It would have been sort of 2013-ish. I think he'd been in there for about a year at that point. And um, he argued very forcefully that it would be easier for him to get sent from Sweden. But um, I mean, that's going to be like a massive part of the extradition hearings coming up. Because obviously in Britain, I don't think we would extradite him if there was any chance of him facing the death penalty, which is maybe partly what's with this slightly strange hacking charge. And Sweden, it seems in their extradition deal with the US, they don't usually extradite people if it's on like political charges. So again, really interesting twists and turns yet to come. 
Well, he certainly didn't have a good week. Shall I talk about who did have a good week? Yes, please. Arguably, common sense had a good week because a European country had a referendum result overturned by the courts because it was decided that the voters had not been well enough informed. For those Brits out there, I'm sorry to break it to you that it wasn't that referendum. No, it was a referendum in Switzerland, the land of direct democracy. Swiss voters know the drill. They voted in on over 600 proposals since 1848, but this is the first time that a result has been overturned by the courts. The voting question was asking the people whether they thought that the Swiss tax system unfairly penalised married couples. The referendum had been proposed by the Christian Democratic Party, who argued that married couples ended up having to pay more tax than just cohabiting unmarried couples, because married couples are counted as one financial entity, meaning that they only get one person's worth of tax-free allowances. Hmm. So... It seems that one of the key bits of misleading information came from a government brochure published before the referendum, which the Christian Democratic Party side lost by under just under two percentage points. Um, this brochure said that the tax was only unfair for about 80,000 married couples. <laughs> only 80,000 people. Only 80,000, which is nothing. But it was uh, the government then subsequently adjusted those figures to 454,000 couples. Ooh. So the official brochure was actually misleading. And that was seems to be the thing, the key thing that turned this case in court. So just a reminder, referendums in Switzerland can be called on any proposal that is able to garner 100,000 citizen signatures, which I always think doesn't sound like that many, but it is quite a small country. Hmm. People are worried that this ruling is going to open a whole swathe of court cases against previous referendums. So it's a good week for common sense, arguably, I think. But maybe it's going to create quite a lot of turmoil in this system of direct democracy. Who knows? I think we could say it's been a good week for democracy. I mean, democracy only works properly if people are actually well informed when they make the decisions that they make, doesn't it? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's very true. I am obsessed with the direct democracy culture in Switzerland. Um, If you're interested in this topic, here's my habitual plug. You can go back and listen to a great episode that we did, which talked about uh, how those referendum campaigns work. It's called Flavia and the Machine. It was back in, when was it? November? It was our one year anniversary. Yeah, so it would have been November. Um, Also, did you listen to that Radiolab episode about Swiss democracy? Oh no, you told me to listen to it. It's really good. It's called For Whom the Cowbell Tolls and it is way good. And also The Observer had a nice feature about Operation Libero, the one that Flavia fronts this week in their upshot section about like good news. So I'll post that in the show notes. Now it's time for you to have a little interview without me. Yes, go away and and do something. Make yourself busy. Okay. As we were saying, uh, I changed jobs fairly recently and I'm now like super obsessed with disinformation and the kind of weird hoaxes and wrong information that floats around on the internet. And um, I work with this team of fact checkers and we try to debunk stuff and spoil everyone's fun. It's great. Obviously, elections are like prime time for fake news. Um, There's massive elections going on in India right now, for example, and like the amounts of wrong information floating around the internet are just colossal. Our elections, which we have coming up for the European Parliament next month, are no different. And in many cases, you see the same kind of fake stories crossing borders. Uh, It's a very interesting phenomenon, which is why journalists in countries all across Europe have come together to form a kind of super fact-checking force ahead of the elections 
It is called Fact Check EU, and the guy running it is Jules Damana, a very interesting man from Nice in the south of France. I gave him a call. Jules, hello, bonsoir. Hi, bonsoir. <laughs> so you are the coordinator of this super interesting project to fight misinformation in Europe. And the rationale behind it is that fake news doesn't recognise borders. Can you give me an example of a case of a false news report that has crossed borders in Europe and spread into different countries? Uh, what you can find sometimes in Greece, a TV anchor a couple of weeks ago uh, said that migrants in Germany had a free brothel coupons. <laughs> and people believe that? I mean, some do, and uh, definitely this guy on TV in Greece definitely believed that. And he said that it was coming to Greece as well, and that Greece will implement this policy of offering sex work for migrants, which is quite ludicrous. But, you know, people believe that. Wow. And so our partner in Greece fact-checked it and then tried to define where it was coming from. It was actually coming from Germany and Austria written in, in German. In terms of hoaxes, hoaxes by migrants are the ones who travel the most easily because that's a global policy uh, talking point. Mm. So tell me a bit about the site because it's been up and running for a few months now. Can you tell us a bit about how it works? Because you're working with fact checkers in all of the different countries in Europe, aren't you? Yeah, Fact Check EU is working with uh, 19 partners from 13 European countries. We have several things going on on the website. One of them is that we pick up great fact checks that have been made by the partner for their own national audience, and we translate them into one or more languages of the other partners. So let's say a fact check from Spain could be translated into German, Lithuanian, Greek, Swedish, whatever. Another part is like actual collaboration between the partners trying to work on the same hoax because they've seen the, the hoax spread from one country to another or something that's quite typical. Uh, one politician saying that this thing is happening in, other, in another country, whereas it's not happening. That's a common thing you see. And the last uh, important element of the platform is a Q&A uh, section where people can ask any question about Europe or policies of the European Union. And we try to, to answer those questions. That bit I find super interesting and like a really useful resource for people like me who sometimes don't want to Google it or have Googled it and feel like Google doesn't have all the answers. Um, have people sent in some interesting questions already? Yeah, yeah. We're not we're not as fast as Google. And what? The Q&A part stems from Liberation, the French daily, which has a um, fact-checking vertical called Check News. Check news is just Q&A. Like, a lot of people ask questions to fact-checkers at Liberation and they answer the questions. They only do that. And that's really interesting because it tackles not only disinformation, but also just a lack of information about Europe. So we had interesting questions about, for instance, is there a rule to implement gender parity for the European elections? Is there a broad rule, a blanket rule? And it turns out that it's not the case. And some countries don't have a rule for gender parity in election lists. Mm. So it's country by country. And that's something I didn't know and something that you wouldn't have thought of covering. But because someone asked this question, 
now we have the answer. So there's a lot of questions about like just something that you would Google and you wouldn't find the answer to. And in your experience so far, are you finding that some countries are proving more fertile ground for misinformation than others or not? I think at this point it would be hard to say because I don't have like a broad statistical range of seeing where hoaxes to come from. I think it's really difficult to also pinpoint the exact origin of a hoax. You generally know where it began to spread, but you don't know like who is the person who decided to put out this hoax. I definitely feel that it can come from anywhere. I mean, there's probably places in which it's easier. For instance, I, I was talking about Greece and our Greek partner told me, and that's really interesting, that after the Greek crisis, a lot of legacy media outlets were understaffed and, you know, the public Greek television had, had a rough time as well. And on top of that, there's a lot of junky media outlets that grew on the ashes of those legacy media outlets. This makes a more fertile ground for misinformation. Oh, I see. Because are they trying to like drive traffic to their websites by publishing kind of sensational stuff that isn't necessarily true? Is that it? Yeah. And also because legacy media is just has less people to work with and is less financed. Well, that creates ground for trashy media. Mm. I'm going to talk about the United States a little bit, but in the United States, you have like some places which are called uh, news deserts, in which there's no local news outlet. And when there's no local news outlet in a place, well, there's a ground for lower quality news and sometimes false information to spread. Um, in general, have you found so far that there are like big differences between the way that fake news spreads in Europe and the kind of stuff that spreads and fake news in the US? There's some differences that are not testable. In the US, one of the main reasons for the, the spread of false information is uh, money. We've all seen the reports about Macedonians running websites, running fake news websites in the US. And we don't find that as much in Europe because the market is smaller. Every national market is smaller. And if your main goal is financial profit, you're not going to write a blog for Lithuanians. You wouldn't get any ad money from that. You might get a little bit. A little bit. But, you know, if you, if you really want to make money, you write about, you're starting to set up your blogs about the 2020 election in the U.S. You're going to get more clicks. So mm. that's one of, the, um, one of the main differences. And also, obviously, in Europe, one of the um, defining factors is that you have so many languages and you have so many countries that have a poor knowledge of each other and a lot of falsehoods that spread in Europe are taking advantage of that. When we're talking about like the main forces spreading this misinformation, I mean, often when we think about misinformation in Europe and in the US, we think about like shadowy Russian groups who are sitting in a room being paid to churn out fake news to destabilize the West or whatever. But who do you think is behind most of the hoaxes that spread in Europe? There's definitely other countries that are trying to spread false information towards you know, other countries, and that's been the case for centuries now. Mm. But I think that we shouldn't look at one culprit, namely Russia, and say that's the only culprit and that's the only reason there's misinformation in Europe. Uh, politicians in our countries are playing a massive part as well, and they have much more influence. You have a lot of sources of misinformation in your country 
before you start looking at what other countries can do. On the Russian stuff, though, is there any evidence so far that ahead of the European elections there's been some kind of uptick in, in like a sort of Russian push for sowing disinformation in Europe? I mean, from our work, we haven't found out anything in particular, but also we're not focusing on that. We're focusing on what's viral rather than, you know, trying to find the shadowy groups behind it. From some pieces of misinformation, we found out that the root of it was the Hungarian media propaganda. Sometimes it's politicians in national countries, so there might be, but we haven't found out about it yet. I'm really interested in the kind of the different things that go viral in different countries, um, as you probably know, I'm British. And before the Brexit referendum, for years in general, these big myths about Europe and how the EU operates were really super widespread in Europe. Stuff like, I don't know, like the EU is trying to ban bendy bananas, that kind of thing. Yeah. Do you see myth busting as part of your remit? Oh, yeah, yeah. We actually published a fact check about bendy cucumbers. Um, <laughs> They're back. Yeah, it turns out that it's pretty widespread in Germany, this myth. We ran a poll in six European countries, and we found out that a bit more than half of Germans thought that the Europe was preventing uh, cucumbers from being too bendy, which is pretty fun. Why do you reckon it's bananas in Britain and cucumbers in Germany? Germans love pickles, I guess. <laughs> I don't know exactly why. I know that this myth was found in German media more than it was in other countries' media outlets. And it's really interesting to see the differences in like the political conversation in different countries. In Spain now, there's a huge conversation about gendered violence and violence against women because Vox, a far-right party in Spain, is really pushing against laws that are meant to uh, protect women against gender violence. And there's a lot of misinformation around gender violence in Spain. Mm. In Italy, you have some conversation around Roma people, and there's misinformation about that as well. It's really interesting to see the, the, the national differences. Yeah, and I've already learned some really interesting things just from browsing the website. For example, I didn't know until yesterday about which countries allow chemical castration to be used as a criminal punishment. That was really fascinating. Go check it out. Um, for you, overseeing this project and watching all the posts that come in, what is the most surprising thing that you've learned so far? Huh. Um, I mean... I'm not the type of being very surprised by hoaxes. I've been working on those for a while now. Oh, Jules, you cynic. Yeah, I'm a bit, I'm a bit cynical. But um, what's pretty interesting is that continental Europeans don't care about Brexit. There's not a lot of misinformation about Brexit outside of the UK, obviously. But really, like, we don't care. Yeah. That's pretty interesting because... Going on the project, I assumed that I'd have a lot of things to cover about Brexit. And it turns out that no. Huh. That's probably quite nice for you, actually. It's like a quite big source of stress in our lives. So I'm very happy for you. <laughs> yeah. So your website is also a Brexit safe place, the same as our podcast. I think listeners will be very happy to hear that. Absolutely. Um, what advice would you give to people trying to read the news and read their Facebook feeds and sort facts from fiction ahead of the elections? Google a lot. <laughs> Search a lot of things on the internet and ask the question five different ways because that might be the way you get to the answer. Uh, but really, really be as doubtful as possible. 
I'm back. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, really nice interview. Well done. Maybe you should always do interviews without me. I guess you do do a lot of work preparing happy endings, like the one I'm about to hear now. Oh, tons. Well, actually, this week, I was so busy that I didn't even find the happy ending myself. I was once again helped by our Patreon supporters on our special Facebook Patreon group. Daniel Farrell came up with the most heartwarming of tales, even though there were loads of suggestions this week. There seems to have been loads of happy news for once. Good week, Europe. So he found this story on RTE, the Irish national broadcaster. And yeah, now we we probably all think like to think we're good neighbours. Do you think you're a good neighbour, Katie? I'm a really good neighbour, unlike my neighbours who... Actually, that's not true. My neighbours are really nice. But can I just tell you this quickly? Open the door to take the bins out the day before yesterday and somebody had stolen our plant. That's awful. And they'd like literally ripped it out of the earth and just led this trail of like soil going into the corridor. And then they stole the bin that lives next to our post boxes so that they could use that as a flower pot and run away with our plant. Isn't that outrageous? It probably wasn't one of your neighbours who did that. My neighbours are nice people. That's awful. Well, yeah, some neighbours... I I think of myself as being quite a good neighbour, although I do sometimes sing very loudly at home. So I do feel a bit guilty about that. I want to hear what they say about you. Yeah, exactly. There's no question that the neighbours of Melanie and Jeremy Zani in County Galway are some of the best neighbours to have ever lived. So Melanie and Jeremy are a French couple who live in Ireland and set up a little bakery there. They experienced a huge disaster recently when a chimney fire caused their thatched cottage to burn down. Oh no! They had not been able to afford the expensive insurance for a thatched cottage, so they were in pretty big trouble after this fire. However... As mentioned, they have the best neighbours in the world. A group of people who, uh, with some pretty great building skills, who rallied around the family and managed to rebuild their house in four weeks. A lot of them were like apprentices or retired tradesmen who worked day and night to create a place for them to live as quickly as possible. Jeremy and Melanie have been overwhelmed with the acts of kindness. And Jeremy said the neighbours are not just neighbours, they are superheroes. Neighbourly kindness. Nothing beats it. My heart has been so warmed that I've nearly got over my hangover. Thank you. Oh, I'm pleased. That's all we've got time for this week. But we'll be back next week once again. Maybe I'll be around for the interview. We'll see. I've got another busy week. Sorry, Katie. They're making me work through much of Easter weekend, so I don't even get that time off. That's fine. I mean, me and Jules had a good time without you, frankly, so I could do the same again this week. Fine, I'll just not turn up at all then. (laughs) That's fine. I'll just do this whole thing on my own. No, Dominic, no. I need you in my life. Please stay. Uh, Next week, we could well be bringing you news from the Ukrainian election. Also the Finnish election. Oh, yeah, and Finland too. Stuff happening all over the place. In the meantime, uh, come and chat to us on one of our many, many social media pages. I'm going to sneeze. One second. Oh, no. Oh, phew. I thought you were not actually going to sneeze. And I was going to feel so sad for you. What do you mean? You know, when you need to sneeze and you can't sneeze. Oh, yeah. And then someone claps at you to make it go away, which is so annoying. No one's ever done that to me. Is that a French thing? No, it's it's a thing you can do. You can make someone's like desire to sneeze go away by clapping in their face try it sometime it's very irritating though i like a good sneeze uh as i was saying 
we tweet at Europeans Pod. We post pictures on Instagram at Europeans Podcast, and you can find us on Facebook as well, uh, including in the special secret elite Facebook group for our Patreon supporters. Uh, and that group is growing. Thank you so much, all the people who are donating. We are incredibly grateful. We've added two new supporters this week, I think, who we would like to thank, Kelly Merks and Liz Anderson. So they get to join this group and... Um, some people are getting other rewards like little voicemail messages from us, which people seem to be enjoying, and postcards to some people. Did you send out those postcards yet? Maybe today. Dominic. I'm sorry, I'm going to go. Um, today is my first. I'm apologizing. Don't apologize to me. Apologize to... To our listeners, to our Patreon supporters. Uh, today is my first day off in a very long time. And I'm going and wandering around the city with my friend, my other Katie friend who's visiting, who's hiding in the bath right now. You've got another Katie friend? Yeah, she's spelled I-E, it's fine. Oh, fine. I've made her stay in the bath because it's the only place in the flat where you can't hear anyone. Oh, God, she's going to be so um, wrinkled. Yeah, she's going to be wrinkled. She's going to be as wrinkly as an apricot. Um, but that's one of my plans today, to go and buy postcards because I bought some online some like beautiful vintage ones and they turned up and they were literally the smallest postcards in the world what do you mean they were, they were like postcards the size of a like small biscuit and i was like i can't send this off <laughs> post a picture of them on on instagram i want to see them i will all right well i will let you go so that poor katie can get out of the bath we will see you all next week everyone have a good week um i was gonna say goodbye in irish but i've forgotten how to say it slan lat au revoir <laughs>